Hey gamers, this is Liz Davidson from Beyond Solitaire, and on this podcast, I have a very special guest, Ian O'Toole, board game artist extraordinaire. How are you doing today, Ian? I'm good. How are you doing, Liz? I'm doing all right. Uh, are you keeping busy with board game art even during COVID? Yeah, I'm super busy. Um, nothing, nothing really has changed for me. A couple of schedules have moved around, uh, but no, I've I've been uh, pretty flat out this year. So uh, before we started recording, I was looking at your website and I noticed that you used mm-hmm. to do things like exhibition design and that you had sort of, you know, brand design, yeah. you know, work on offer. But mm-hmm. you are almost exclusively board games these days. Yeah. Yeah. For the last um, th- uh, three to four years, I've been pr- I've done it. I've dabbled in a, a, a few little projects, but pretty much exclusively board games. Yeah. So I have a question for you. I know that you have a particularly good relationship with Lacerda, mm-hmm. but how do you decide what board game projects you're going to take? It seems like you're busy and you're in high demand. So how is that decision made on your end? Uh, well, first and foremost, uh, it's often schedule based. Um, so if a publisher you know, comes to me and says, we need something in two months time, and then that's just a no. That's a flat. It doesn't really matter what it is. Uh, assuming that there's enough of a lead time, um, it's it's a mixture of a lot of things. Sometimes it's it's the designer. Sometimes it's the publisher. Sometimes it's just the game looks interesting. Uh, particularly if it's something uh, different, like something that I haven't done before. I quite enjoy doing different types of games. I'd like to do you know one of every <laughs> one of every type of game would be quite interesting. Uh, a lot of the time it's the theme as well because I jump around in styles an awful lot. So if 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 the theme is something that I haven't worked in before and I've I have a particular interest in then that'll obviously you know attract me to it. So it's all all sorts of different things. So how do you get a sense of a game before you take a job? Do you typically go for games that are more completely developed and you are just helping to organize that idea visually or is your graphic design a part of the larger design process um again it can kind of be both uh if if i have a sort of ongoing relationship with the designer so with in vital's case for instance uh, then it's more of an involved process I, i'll get involved earlier in in the process and you know give feedback and all that sort of stuff um but if it's a designer that I haven't worked with before, unless there's a particular reason why it might be beneficial, um, you know, sometimes in the development, they might be having issues with a certain uh, mechanism and how to visually represent it or something like that. Uh, but unless there's a good reason, it's usually better once the game has gone through development, because otherwise, you know, I end up doing work and changing work and all that sort of stuff. So it, it, it depends, really. I really enjoy the, the early development stages. Um, like we're just soon going to get started on Weather Machine, uh, with which is Vital's next game. Uh, so I'm quite looking forward to that because the early stages are very free, free form. You know, <laughs> um, it's more just about discussing the game and possibilities of what we could do with it. So it's quite open and it's, it's yeah, it's quite enjoyable. For a game that's further in development, do you assist on actually playing it before you agree to become the artist or illustrator, or do you? Just kind of read the rules or hear a pitch and say, I'll go for that. Uh, no, I I don't usually play it before I agree. 
Um, uh, but I will, you know, obviously I'll take a good look at the game. Um, I'll take um, a look at the prototype files or sometimes there's like a, a Tabletopia version of it. So, you know, the designer might be able to actually um, give me a, a picture, an overview of the game uh, uh, virtually, which is usually quite handy. So what I'm really trying to do is get a sense of the scope of the project, how many bits and pieces there are, and also to identify any areas that might be tricky or, you know, just might take more development work or things like that. Um, but usually I'll play the game once I've committed to the project, uh, especially if it's obviously a, a long game, because um, I always like to build um, physical prototypes uh, as well as as well as possibly play virtually. But it's really important to me to get a sense of the physical um, object. Uh, so that can be quite time consuming if it's a if it's a big game. Do you find that you prefer big games in terms of your own taste? I mean, your your ongoing relationship with Lacerda and his designs does imply a certain tendency towards heavy euros. Um, yeah, I think so. I couldn't do them all. I couldn't only do heavy euros because it, it kind of it, it occupies a large part of my brain while I'm while I'm working on it. Uh, so I mean, ideally, I would do one at a time, and I pepper that with smaller you know lighter games which i i quite enjoy doing light games as well um but i find that they're often well by nature just a lot more straightforward so there's a lot less problem solving to do and all of that so i i find that my skill set is probably more better utilized with a more complex game what about uh your own preferences as a player i mean you you got into doing illustration for board games because you were already an avid gamer is that correct mm, yeah yeah um i i play i i i'm a bit of an omni gamer i i play almost every type of game, type of game at some point i kind of go in in waves of of wanting you know heavier games or or lighter games but i you know, I, I I think at the for the for the longest while, I think my sweet spot has been like a, a midweight euro, um, and that's probably because I I play that type of game a lot with my wife, so you know that just kind of works out. But I enjoy um, uh, theme. I don't like the term thematic games. I have anyway, um, but you, you, I think you know what I mean if I say that, like your your Mansions of Madness and, and that type of thing. I enjoy them to an extent, but I, I find I get in a mood where I really want to play that type of game, and then I play it, or maybe one or two, and then I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm fine for a while now, until that urge overtakes me again. Uh, Euros, I play pretty much consistently. I love card games. I love um, just trick-taking games and things like that. Um, I dabble with war games, although recently I haven't just haven't had the time um, to do that, but I have... Uh, dabbled lightly in in that arena. I don't play a whole lot of solo games, although again, I've dabbled. So you know, every now and then I do. So I, I pretty much play a, a bit of everything. How can you not love solo games? So I'm I'm well, joking. I, for those who <laughs> don't know, Ian is the illustrator of Nemo's War, which is a yeah. a major component, in my opinion, of the solo gaming canon of great games. Yeah. Well, interestingly, the the original Nemo's War uh, and and the new edition is, is one of the few that I do play quite a lot. Um, 
you know, I, I've I've played. I've I find time is also just a uh, um, a, a barrier for me playing solo games. I know that seems counterintuitive because I don't need other people, um, but I find my my non sort of allocated gaming time is usually filled up with other stuff. And when I do allocate gaming time, it's usually with other people. So, you know, solo games, I do, I, I do still play Nemo's War uh, and I do still have my first edition copy, although I haven't played that in quite a while. Um, but besides that, it's mostly smaller card games and things like that. I don't often look into solo vari variation, uh, variants for, you know, what are otherwise multiplayer games. I haven't really gone into that too much. Um, but having said that, you know, I, when, when I start a game, I basically play it solo <laughs> to learn it, which is, I mean, it's not a solo variant, but I, I basically two-handed or four-handed sometimes just to learn the game and understand how it works. So I do spend a lot of time at a table with the game by myself. It's just... I don't know if it qualifies as solo gaming. That's fair. I'm assuming that you do that in order to understand the game spatially and, and come up with how you'd yeah. like to contribute to its design graphically. Mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I can't, I'm not a person who can read a rule book and understand the game. I need to move it around. And especially if I'm going to work on it, it's, it's really important. So you have been the illustrator. Do you prefer artist or illustrator as the term? Uh, illustrator, very much so. <laughs> I, sorry, I, I, I don't take offense with somebody calling me an artist, but I, I never put that forward <laughs> myself. Fair enough. I, 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 uh, I assume you prefer illustrator because you're helping someone achieve a vision as opposed to creating your own art out of the air. Yeah, the I just don't like all the extra baggage that comes with the word art. To be honest, I'd, I'd prefer to be a bit more uh, upfront about it, <laughs> if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, what makes you cringe about the term art? Do you worry that? <laughs> do you worry that your work is not beautiful enough to be called art? Because it is. <laughs> this is a bit of a rabbit hole for me. Um, I don't like people as. How do I say this properly? Um, it it. It makes me a little wary that people assess my work as art when it's not prepared as art. You know, I, mm. I, I rarely think of it in an artistic way when I'm when I'm preparing it. So it seems unfair to me that somebody might assess it as a as a work of art as opposed to as a piece of illustration. And that's not to say that illustration is any less has any less value than art. I, I don't believe it does in any way. But I think the criteria is, is different and I think the way that people observe and react to those two things is very different um so yeah it just makes me a little uh I, <laughs> uncomfortable that's my job does that, no does that make any sense <laughs> yeah it does actually okay I mean I'm, I'm fine with it you know it doesn't if someone calls me an artist I'm not going to shake my fist at them that's fine but for me, that's not for me to decide. That's if so, like, so my opinion on art in general is that ultimately it, it doesn't exist, right? There's no such thing as art. It's just how people react to things that makes it art for them. It's it's a personal thing. It's like saying how big is something, right? Well, it depends, right? It depends on context and perspective. So how much or how little is something art depends on context and perspective. So the word big by itself in isolation doesn't really mean anything 
And the word art in isolation doesn't really mean anything. So if someone says to me, that's a work of art, I take that to mean they really like it, basically. And they're getting something extra from it than some other people might. And I'm happy to hear that, and that's great. But I would never put forward my art, my work and say this is objectively art because I don't think there's any such thing as something being objectively art. I don't think it exists. Does that does that make sense? It does. So your illustrations then mm-hmm. uh, cover yeah. a wide range. <laughs> Sorry, you asked. <laughs> oh man. So no, seriously, your illustrations cover a wide range of styles and historical periods. And mm-hmm. I just, I find that really interesting. Do you have a favorite style that you like to work in or is it the variety that does it for you? Uh, yeah, it's the variety. I don't, I don't really think I have a favorite style. Um, I, I think, um, so when it comes to illustration, I no, I, I, the answer is no, I don't, I don't really have a favorite style. I really enjoy the, um, the process of arriving at a style. Um, and, you know, look, if historical a setting is appropriate looking at that and um that you know that's it's really fun to be able to find a sort of visual hook to hang a game on um you know when it comes to graphic design and stuff i'd say i have more more of a style and and, and a definite approach but even that's you know influenced as well by the if, if it's research or, or or just setting in general so what kind of process goes into as you put it arriving at a style how how do you arrive um sometimes very randomly um it it depends so the 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 easiest often the easiest thing is if it's a historical setting for a game uh then you know often the style will be um based around you know a, a style that exists at a time so lisboa is a good example of that um and that then it just becomes um an exercise in well how can I apply this style to a game? And also how can I, can I actually emulate it? You know, physically, can I do it? So that's usually, that's quite a straightforward thing. You know, once I find, find that style and and sometimes it's a case of, um, you know, I make a decision early on that I'm not going to go super historically accurate. So for instance, I did a game called the Scarlet Pimpernel, which is obviously, you know, based on a specific time period. um, And, it has, you know, I, 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 impl- I implemented some styles of the time, sort of these watercolor travel sketching styles. Uh, but the design that it's hung around is is much more modern. So that's a deci- just a stylistic decision to be a little bit more um, anachronistic with that. Uh, but as regards this, you know, the, the ins and outs of the style itself, um, if there isn't a historical context, um, uh I, I don't know. <laughs> it could be very, very random. Uh, often it's it's based on a lot of influences. Like if, I, if it's a sci-fi game, for instance, I have a big bunch of science fiction artists too who I really like. So sometimes it'll be kind of, you know, I kind of want to do a bit of this and a bit of that and kind of mix them together, or at least that'll be the starting point. But I really enjoy that sort of early exploration process. And I always explain to to publishers that, you know, new publishers that I work with that, you know, where we start and where we end up might not look very much like each other, you know? So, um, uh, you know, Black Angel is a, is a really good example of that. Like the cover of Black Angel, for instance, 
that was very that very much came out of lots of experimenting with color and and shapes and things like that and it's a sort of thing where when i started it i didn't really have a clear idea of how it was going to look and i just worked on it and developed it until i came across something i was happy with um it's quite a fun way for me to um to develop a style because it's surprise it kind of surprises me as well um yeah it's a nice sense of exploration to it that sounds both really exciting and anxiety inducingly uncertain <laughs> <laughs> it's so no it's it's fine. experience has taught me that it'll it'll come together at, like at some point in every project pretty much i do kind of get those thoughts of oh god <laughs> where is this going but i kind of know that if i just keep going if i just put my head down and keep you know keep working on it it'll emerge i i don't know it's sometimes it literally does that you know where i just i'll be halfway through something and then i'll you know just start if I, if i'm not feeling what's happening i'll just start playing with color and just doing the opposite of what i thought would look right if you know what i mean so just saying like taking this layer in color and and inverting it or reversing it and then just seeing if that does anything interesting and sometimes it doesn't and sometimes it does um so i have all these techniques for basically introducing chaos into the process um that uh, oftentimes result in something interesting that i didn't foresee so you were resistant to calling your work art which might oh. also mean that i mean do you believe in things like inspiration or is this something that for you is a matter of consistency you know returning every day and having habits that help you tap into your more creative mindset um uh, do i believe in inspiration uh I, I i i don't know i i'm always really careful to say it's not like i don't believe it or you know, talent is another word i don't believe in it but for me um i need to work to achieve anything so i you know if if i you know the the sort of classic notion of inspiration is you know you sort of sit around and think and <laughs> do whatever um until you know something from the heavens uh, lands in your brain um but for me i just need to work so I, I i work it out in a sketchbook uh so i i will you know in early stages of developing an idea for a cover for instance i'll just constantly work in a sketchbook for you know a few hours um and if i don't if i if i if i don't have anything in my mind to draw i'll just draw the box <laughs> like literally just a box <laughs> And then I'll just start making shapes in it. And even if they don't go, so my, my sketchbook is filled with just shapes. Um, because at some stage, it, like it, that's, to me, that's the same process as I just described as sort of introducing chaos into the equation. If nothing jumps out at me as being an idea, then I just have to come across one. Um, so a lot of the times I'll, I'll, I'll draw the box and I'll just start making shapes and, and things like that. And sometimes that'll suggest compositions um or just design concepts and things like that so uh, but if i don't do that if i just sit there and think about it nothing will ever happen <laughs> i won't get anything done uh, <laughs> so yeah i need to actively work to to develop anything so i'm assuming that there's an extra layer of work if you're doing a game that requires some historical research are you naturally a history buff do you enjoy that aspect of design and how into historical aspects of something do you get or do you just look at the art like something like you know um lisboa did you hmm. 
immerse yourself in the entire situational history of the event of the earthquake? Or did you just want to pick up some books about uh, Portuguese art at that time and go from there? Yeah, um, it, 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 it varies. So Lisboa was quite in-depth because the game had been developed with a lot of historical detail. And Vital came to me with a lot of uh, references and, and things like that. Uh, so understanding the context of what was going on historically, understanding the the fig, you know, the, the characters, the figures involved, um, getting an, a notion uh, for the geography and for the city itself and the the culture at the time, all of that was pretty important. I mean, it, it's not, you know, it, it is historical research, but I don't need to form a a three hundred and sixty degree understanding of the period. There's a lot of it that's just not relevant to what I'm doing. Uh, and while, yeah, I saw so I answer one, I, I do have an interest in it. You know, I, it is super interesting to me. And I, I almost have to be careful not to spend too much, <laughs> spend too much time sometimes. Uh, because, you know, you come across these periods and things that you're not familiar with and you just want to learn more about them. Uh, so I do to an extent, but, you know, there's a point at which I kind of have to go, well, you know, all of this is really interesting, but only 10% of it's actually relevant to what, to what I'm doing. But it, it, it really varies, you know. Some games, some games don't require any research. Well, you know, because maybe it's a, a fantasy game or a science fiction game or whatever. I, I, well, I guess even then, sometimes they require a little bit of research. But it's more contextual. It's more looking at, you know, what else is out there sometimes, or just trying to find a, a space visually in in the market. Almost so that's like market research as opposed to historical research. Um, but it really depends. A lot of the time, the, the research is. Um, researching um like illustration styles of a certain period so nemo's war is a good example of that uh, a lot of the illustration style is based not necessarily on the period when the book uh, takes place but some of it's based on the period when the book would have been released and popular like those sort of adventure styles of illustrations and things like that um so sometimes that like a large part of the research is is to do with illustration styles as opposed to actually accurate historical research. That makes sense. So hmm. you, you've worked on a lot of games. Is there one that you have the fondest memories of working on or the one with the aesthetic that you sank into the most? Or is it like choosing between your children? <laughs> um I don't know that I have. Do I have a clear favorite? I don't know that I have a clear favorite. I have a few. Um, I, I, I did a game based on um, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell uh, for Osprey Games. I really liked how that turned out. Um, that was based very much on historical illustration styles that I was just talking about on sort of political maps of the time, of the era and things like that. Um, and also the the portraits and there's tarot cards in it so there was lots of really juicy visual cues to to sort of soak you know soak up and, and put into the game so that that turned out really nice uh lisboa i i really enjoyed lisboa because it's 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 very distinctive in in the style and it's you know it's something that i hadn't worked in before and honestly probably won't again i, I wouldn't see the point in returning to it unless vital decides to <laughs> design a Lisboa too. Uh, I, you know, yeah, lots of them. I really enjoyed Black Angel um, because they were, you know, as a publisher, Pearl Games were very happy for me to just go a bit wacky with it. 
and even some that are almost entirely graphic design um, exercises like pipeline I really enjoyed because that's a graphic design problem solving um, system of you know just uh, delivering that information as, as cleanly as possible so I really enjoyed that as well so no I don't really have a clear a clear favorite <laughs> so you just <laughs> mentioned graphic design uh, I know that a lot of times you might have a separate illustrator a separate graphic designer those don't those don't necessarily mm. The Venn diagram of, of graphic design and illustration is not a circle. Uh, for you, right. is there a specific pattern that you like? Do you tend to like to do the illustration and the design? Do you team up with other people? I mean, does it just vary per game? How do you prefer to do it? And what's most common for you? Yeah, I, I, I definitely prefer to do everything together myself. Um, you know, I have, I haven't, I don't think I've done any games just as an illustrator. I've done a few games just as a graphic designer, which is which is fine. But honestly, I feel that um, that's less of a, a unique skill set for me. I think where I excel is is bringing the two together, or, or, or not where I excel, but where I where I do the work that's uniquely mine is when I bring the two of them together. Um, for me, you know, be, because I I do both in sort of equal measures. Um, the lines between the two can be quite blurred. Um, so I really enjoy sort of trying to blend, just blur the line between graphic design and illustration. Uh, and that's very difficult to do if it's two different people. So yeah, for me, it's definitely, I, I, I prefer to do everything, everything at once. So you're going for that consistent vision throughout the game. Mm, yeah. And it, it's not a case where when I'm, uh, when I'm working on a game, I, I don't often think, okay, I'll do the graphic design now, and then, okay, I'll do the illustration now. It's just, it's all kind of the same. You know, there are exceptions that obviously, if you're putting text into cards and stuff, that's a graphic, that's a typography, which is a graphic design exercise. Um, uh, you know, icons tend to be very graphic design based, although, again, in Lisboa, all the icons are actually little illustrations. Um, so, you know, even that can be blurred, but I am. Um, yeah, I, I generally try to just approach them all as a, a, a like a unified visual sense, if that's possible. Um, I think that leads to a much more cohesive um, final product. So I know that then, if you think about blurring those lines, you probably also spend a lot of time thinking about the right blend between efficiency and attractiveness to the eye. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. have you ever had to sacrifice some of the illustration ideas that you had in favor of making things look more simple or because it's all one process for you, does it all just kind of evolve together? I probably have. Yeah. Kind of cause it's all one process. So as I'm working on it, I'm constantly adjusting balance, right? So uh, there's definitely been times where I've, um, you know, developed a piece of illustration or sometimes even just a, a color scheme or something like that. But once it's brought together with everything else, then, it, you know, something fights too hard or, or something doesn't pop enough where, you know, you know, I need to sort of like an equalizer, pretty much like a visual equalizer where you need to push and pull certain elements forward or backwards. Um, so there's definitely been, uh, that happens all the time. So there's definitely been lots of occasions where, I've adjusted things once they're in context. Um, 
but I, I can't think of a specific where I had like an idea and then I had to tone it down a huge amount. But uh, yeah, it, it happens all the time, basically, in, in sort of small incremental steps. So I know that when people are designing games, you know, you play test the rules, you make sure people figure out how to play on their own or that the game works. Do you also play test your graphic design? Is that something mm. that you run by other people to make sure that it's working as you intended visually? Yeah, definitely. Um, I so when I when I basically when I think the game is done, um, I'll make a new prototype, and then I'll play it with with the group. Um, and what I what I tend to do is make a prototype, but without any player aids. So <laughs> almost to, it's like on difficult mode because uh, that really highlights any issues that are you know that are confusing or, or or anything like that and often honestly you know when a game goes down in front of people and even when you're setting it up and when i'm teaching it i'll immediately recognize things and i'll go ah i need to change that it's a really really important and helpful part of the process um and i i, I it's the sort of thing where i i think you know, sometimes you, you play a game when you go, where's that information? I don't see it anywhere, I, you know, or why didn't they put the, how much money you start with on the player board? You know, it's just stuff like that, that you kind of go, I wish they would have done this. Yeah. I mean, I teach and myself I, games all the time and the easier it is for me, the happier I am. Right. Yeah. 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 And that's the sort of thing that always jumps out on playtesting the almost final artwork um, is... Uh, just those little quality of life <laughs> improvements where, you, where I just kind of think, oh, I should put that there. Or somebody asks, you know, how many of these do I need? I go, well, I tell them. And then I, I make a mental note and I go, I should put that somewhere. Um, so, I, you know, sometimes the answer to that is, well, we're not playing with the player aid and it'll be on the player aid. Mm -hmm. uh, but the reason that I don't play with the player aid is because I think with any good player aid and any, you know, reasonably competently produced game you can work it out but i don't want people I, what i'm testing for is to see how intuitive it is um so so you know when when i play tested lisboa which i play tested probably more than any other game i've worked on you know that the final game has a <laughs> a player booklet as like a, yes a, it does like a little mini like an eight page player head uh i didn't play test with that at all so all of those icons I explained if I was asked, but for the most part, I just let people figure them out, you know, because that's really important information to me. If somebody, if like, if somebody says, what does that mean? I'll often say, what do you think it means first, you know, and then they'll tell me and hopefully they get it right or at least very close. Uh, and something that's really important to me is you know, as the game progresses, if we're getting into the last third of the game, for instance, and especially a long game like Lisboa, are people still asking, you know, basically, have they got to grips with the conventions? Are the conventions um, consistent enough that they now understand that this means a cost, this means a, a, a benefit, or you know what I mean, all, all those different conventions that you have in iconography and, and things like that. So it, it's really, um, it's a really quick and effective way for me to gauge how successful I've been in that regard. And there are always, <laughs> there are always super obvious things, honestly, uh, that I just don't see until I put it on the table. Um, so yeah, I, I absolutely have to play test um, final art or n near final art. 
How closely is that playtesting done in terms of your relationship and discussions with the designer? I can see how maybe something could arise in playtesting where you're not sure if it's a you problem or a them problem, if that makes sense. Mm. Uh, yeah. How do you how do you decide that? Do you use the designer's playtesters? Do you have your own playtesters? You know, who has control over those tests and the results? Uh, I do. It's it's a hundred percent me. Um, so I'll, I'll usually tell the designer if if I'm doing it. I mean, sometimes I, it's opportunity just it presents itself, and I and I I do it anyway. But um, uh, I, I certainly will tell them afterwards and let them know how it went, both as a as as a update on you know, the work that I'm doing, but also just as a general play test, you know, I'll come back and say, you know, players really like this part or got confused at this part or, you know, whatever. Um, but uh, no, it's, it's a hundred percent my uh, initiative <laughs> under my control. So is there any part of the design and illustration process that you do not like? Ah, um, not really. No, not not at least not universally. There wouldn't be any part that I'd be like, "Oh, I hate this part." Um, no, not really. Uh, I, I, you know, in any project, there's definitely parts that are a bit more of a drag <laughs> than other parts, <laughs> uh, as you might expect. But it's not something consistently. No, not really. Then you, sir, are a lucky man. All right, yeah, one thank, more... God. Just, thank God, right? <laughs> So one more kind of worky related question. I don't, sure. I'm not very sensitive to design. Actually, everybody makes fun of me because I'm, I'm very utilitarian. I will play mm. a game that is not considered aesthetically pleasing. I'll play a beautiful game. If it works, I'm generally pretty good. <laughs> right, do you find that there are certain common symbols or ways of expressing things across games that you turn to again and again, because it's become so much of a part of our, our language of learning games that it's hard to deviate? There are definitely conventions and i i think you know I, i'm aware of those conventions so i know the value in you in using them in certain cases but i also understand when it's not appropriate to use them even though the meaning might be exactly the same like an example is in euro games it's it's very common to use like a lightning bolt for something that's immediate uh it's very common although slightly less common to use an exclamation mark for something that denotes income um and so knowing that is really useful because if I'm working on a game and I need something that denotes income, I know I can put an exclamation mark on it and a large portion of the game's audience will understand that. And that's kind of a shortcut. Uh, but the question I need to ask myself is, first of all, is this a Euro game? You know, if it's, if it's not a Euro game, if it's a card game or, a you know, some game about space Marines shooting aliens, um, is you know will that audience understand that convention that is far more tied to Euro games? Um, so yeah, th there's definitely some things um, that are really useful. I think the the lightning bolt generally um, jumps out, and also ways of denoting. Uh, although this isn't a, a, an understood convention, but ways of denoting sort of end game scoring versus immediate scoring, just stuff like that. Um, but I don't. I don't think there's like a, a style guide as such that that you know if you deviate from, uh, it will universally confuse people. Certainly not in the ways that there are in in other aspects of graphic design. Like web design is a really good example. There are certain conventions that people who live on the internet will 
generally understand you know they you know if you click the logo it brings you back to the home page is, is a generally understood uh convention so i don't think we really have anything like that in in board games yet <laughs> ah see yet i was actually wondering do you find that i mean you've been working in board game illustration for years at this point mm. um are there any stylistic convergences that are happening as we kind of develop as a hobby as we develop this way of you know people want to buy and learn lots and lots of new games generally mm. mm-hmm. in our culture is that impacting the way that games are illustrated and designed with the expectation that you know you have to get it right this exact time and also i know that players who are playing this game might also recognize these other shapes and ways and that's an easy way to on-ramp them right um it's it's really really tricky because um the ins and outs so particularly talking about iconography and this is particularly talking about games that are reasonably complex right which is where you run into loopholes and all these confusing things that you have to try and work out um it's really difficult because the 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 ideal situation when learning a game is that the iconography is as straightforward and intuitive as possible but the iconography for lisboa and the iconography for venos for instance um because of the natures of the mechanisms of those games the simplest option won't always be the same so a a very uh, a very easy example is when you talk about costs and and so money let's just talk about money for so um a a cost in money and a a a benefit in money right Mm -hmm. so you've got an easy thing might be you know put a, a green border or a red border or put a plus and a minus right for gaining money and having to pay money but that runs into difficulty if you have a reduction in the cost right so how, how do you denote a uh, um a discount right is it right is it it's not a minus or a plus right because we already have minus and plus so you gotta you know that's just an extra wrinkle and an extra um layer that the entire system of iconography needs to be aware of and influenced by Whereas in the other game, we might not have that. So a plus and a minus is easy and intuitive and people get it and that's fine. So uh, to, if, if that was in any way, you know, subscribed to any sort of universal iconography uh, uh, style guide, then it would have to obviously uh, take into account the possibility of having um, a reduction or, or, or a discount. But on the other game, that might make the iconography uh, unnecessarily, um, you know, unintuitive. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So, out of curiosity, yeah. what is, in your opinion, the most beautifully designed and intuitive and attractive game that you play that you did not yourself illustrate? Oh, um, huh. That is an interesting question, uh, which I do not have an answer for. I mean, one of my favorite games from the from a visual perspective is The Grizzled. Mm. Uh, I mean, that's it's mechanically that's a very simple card game. There's not much going on, but just from a evocative and emotional standpoint, I think that game's a masterpiece. Um, 
other than that, uh, as regards sort of like information design and things like that, um, oh, you stumped me. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, God. Hmm. I'm, I'm nothing is, is that, that's not to say I don't think there are any. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but nothing's just really, really jumping out. But we all um, know you're the best. It's fine. No, <laughs> So what are you playing right now that you're enjoying? <laughs> well, so, so the games that are in constant rotation with myself and my wife are always Castles of Burgundy, uh, Marco Polo 1 or 2, um, Newton, and Forum Trajanum. They're, they're the games, and sometimes Concordia. They're the games that we play all the time, and Glory to Rome. Uh, so, we, we, yeah, there are, you know, you know, every week we'll play probably at least three to four of those uh in any order uh other than that i haven't been playing a huge amount um outside of of that um that's not you know work related specifically fair enough you're making us jealous already though do you have that nice glory to rome like black box edition yeah yeah it's real beat up though (laughs) (laughs) i play it a lot I've, i've it's my most played game so but i yeah, I have a backup copy. So, <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, <laughs> it's, no, the, the version I have is because uh, I don't. I really hate sleeving. Okay, this is going to really annoy some people, I'm sure. I hate, 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 hate sleeving cards, um, and I hate playing with sleeved cards. So, I, like, I I would rather just buy a game again, honestly. And uh, honestly, it, it doesn't bother me if a game is beat up. It it doesn't bother me at all. I kind of like it in a way um so my copy of glory to rome is you know the card edges are all frayed um but it plays absolutely fine it's had a full beer spilt across it at essen oh. by a very famous by a very famous designer who i won't mention by name Dude, uh, spill, the tea. <laughs> spill the tea just as he spilled the beer yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um who was mortified at the time but it's up you know we wiped it off and it's absolutely fine um but it was very it was yeah that was very funny of all the games the spilled beer on and again i'm not precious so i was like no it's fine we'll wipe it off it'll be don't worry about it it's fine if i was that precious i wouldn't be playing it in a pub you know on the table in a pub it's fine you know what um you have a point (laughs) yeah (laughs) but everybody else around the table was mortified That almost makes it better in a way, you yeah, know, like the stars of battle. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but the, you know, it, it survived uh, perfectly. It's just fine. That's a great story. And I'm really glad that you told that. <laughs> um, so I want to thank you so much, Ian, for, for coming on, for taking the time to talk to me, to us. Uh, where can we no find you on the internet? Um, I'm on Twitter, mostly. Um, at Ian O'Toole tweets, um, and I'm on Instagram every now and then, although less so. The illustrator who is not on Instagram, I love it. <laughs> mm, yeah, <laughs> I honestly, I just keep forgetting about it. <laughs> and uh, as y'all know, you can find me anywhere as Beyond Solitaire. Thank you so much for listening, and Ian, thanks again for coming on. It's been great to have you. Thanks, Liz. Happy gaming, y'all.